Because of our struggle It's not my fault All this I also lose my friends I lost my baby That is looking crack Only today Want to change He want And I saw the cookie But I will like to feel Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another wonderful edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. It's your host, Alex Gruskin. A ton of fun things going on on the Cracked Rackets front right now. I think first and foremost on everyone's mind, Dalton Thieneman has made his return. I mean, he's back on the podcast front. You can be hearing him on our Cracked Interviews recently with Ryan Lipman, uh, as well as now with Coach Diaz, but it's great to have him back full-time. He also wrote up a little article for a Kalamazoo preview, you know, where our Crack Rackets guys give our takes on who we think the front runners are, who the dark horses are, who we're watching to win, you know, what event that, an event that we think is the Super Bowl of the U.S. junior season. So obviously go check that out. Obviously a ton of other great content on the website as well. Go check out articles about the Futures and Challengers Tour. We've got Anna Bright, Alex Gordon, Ed Ryan. Cardiff, Matt Stokowiak, Jamie McDonald, the whole crew doing a tremendous job up there, so go check that out. If you haven't, of course, go check out our two podcasts, the Cracked Interviews podcast, as well as the other podcast, the Great Shot podcast. You know, we have a lot of fun on the GSP. We've done some things. We've talked about Winnetka. We've talked about, obviously, all of the Wimbledon matches. If you missed any of those rounds and you want to catch up on that, go check those out. We'll have pods about Atlanta and the City Open up soon. So a ton of great content there. Again, go rate, review, subscribe. Five-star ratings only. Come on, don't waste your time. Don't go all the way there and leave a four-star. You know, that's just a waste of everyone's time. So give us us that five-star bump. You know, write a review as well. Are there any questions you want us to be asking, anything you want us to be covering? We'd love to hear from you. So, you know, again, please go do that thing. It would mean a lot to us here. Uh, Coming up on today's Cracked Interviews podcast, we have a fantastic interview with Georgia men's tennis coach Manuel Manny Diaz. Uh, Coach Diaz was such a kind guy. You know, he gave us as much time as he could. He had to run to a meeting. So, unfortunately, we had to cut this interview a little short, at least by our standards. You know, it's still 40 minutes, so it should be good. Also, just full disclosure, the first three minutes of the pod were really staticky, so we decided to scrap those and pick up. Really, with Coach Diaz's start in the game at age 13, you know, when he first picked up a racket, and we still got plenty of great material from him. So, I think you fans are really going to enjoy this one. I have to say, you know, I am a Michigan Wolverine, so I'm biased, but Coach Diaz really gave Coach Tucker a run for his money for best coach interviewed on the Crack Interviews pod so far. So, you know, that's a challenge to all of you college coaches out there. Come on the podcast, you know, we'd love to talk to you as well. But okay. With that, hope you enjoy the Manny Diaz podcast. Welcome back, Cracked fans. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin, back with another wonderful edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. 
Joining me again today, my co-host is back, and yes, I say co-host, but I get to be the host now, Dalton, because you studied for the bar exam a little bit too long, but he, you know, it is Cracked Rackets founder, uh, contributor, social media extraordinaire, Dalton Thiedemann. Dalton, welcome back to the Cracked Interviews podcast. Thanks for having me back, and uh, you know, I know we recorded a podcast last night, uh, which I'm excited to share with all of you as well, but... Uh, thanks for holding down the fort again, Gruskin. It's been a heck of a summer, so uh, excited to interview a living legend today, but I'll let you get to the intro here soon. Oh, that's a perfect segue because the, the man we are interviewing today is the probably the most famous coach in college tennis right now. Uh, you know, if you've been following the game, you know his Georgia Bulldogs team have been contenders since he took over the job. I think it was 1988-1989. Uh, he's been involved with the Georgia tennis program forever. He's a champion at every stage of his career there. It is Georgia head tennis coach Manny Diaz. Manny, thank you for coming on the Crack Interviews podcast. Well, thanks, guys. Alex, uh, good to be with you. And, and Dalton, thanks for uh, making it happen. Absolutely. Excited to uh, chat today. Gonna, I'm sure we're going to get into some uh, good stuff here this well, afternoon. I think the natural first question is, I know you're a competitor. You must be if you've been in the game for this long. Uh, is Are you coming on today's podcast to uh, get back at Ty Tucker? You know, he came on the podcast. Rodidi's come on the podcast. Now it's your turn to get your words in. I'll have to join y'all just to make it even. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm gl- I'm glad to hear. Well, you know, I know you you have a lot of things to do. It's Kalamazoo now, and I, I don't know, are you up in Kalamazoo right now? I just got here today. Uh, my assistant has been here uh, for a couple of days, so we're just uh, joining ranks here and trying to double team and evaluate some talent. <laughs> oh, absolutely! I was actually up there on Sunday, and I think I saw it, it was Jamie was up there. Uh, you know, he looked like he yeah. was doing his job, so I didn't get the chance to talk to him. Didn't <laughs> want to disturb him, so you know, not, no snitching from me here. But uh, yeah, I, you know, the first question I want to ask then, just given that it is Kalamazoo, given that that's what our listeners might be following right now, you know, how valuable as a college coach for you is it to come to a place like this where there are so many players of different calibers from all over the country, you know, gathered in one event, and you really get to see them all show your stuff? How valuable is that? for you from a recruiting aspect? Well, it's, it's uh, you know, it's historical coming back each year. I believe I have been coming every single year. So we try not to, you know, lock ourselves and look for, you know, big guys with certain volleys and, uh, and no baseline game. Uh, you know, you, you look for a complete player. And you look for solid techniques uh, because, because you really can't spend two years working on technique at this time. You know, you can only tweak it a little bit once you get to college. These guys, obviously, uh, you know, at, at the top programs are pretty polished technically. And you look, you know, there's obviously, you know, work to be done. Don't get me wrong in the technical side. But you look, you know, you look for somebody with a good uh, fundamental background. No, I think all of those things are fair. And again, I should have, it was a very loaded question. I gave you a lot of characteristics to choose from. So, you know, I appreciate that you kind of touched on all of them. But then let's take our listeners back. So you mentioned all of these characteristics of the young players. You mentioned yourself having played the 16s at Kalamazoo. I, I know you picked up the game later on, you know, as a teenager at 13. And I know you considered baseball as well. But, you know, what did a young Dan McGill at Georgia see from young Manny Diaz that was so appealing about his game? 
Well, I was just a raw athlete. I was just a very good <laughs> athlete. Uh, uh, I was very fast and very strong and, and, and great around the neck. The net. Um, you know, I was quite undisciplined as a junior. Uh, and Coach McGill was a great fit for me uh, because he was a very big proponent of percentage tennis. So he actually made me a more disciplined player. He gave me patterns. He told me, these are your strengths. These are your weaknesses. We need to forge a game plan that is going to be best suited for you. And then in the process, you mature. And, you know, you become a more disciplined player. You try the right shot at the right time. And you, uh, you know, you try to become a more versatile player. But uh, uh, that's what he saw in me. I, I believe those were my traits as a junior. Um, you know, I was, a, I was a better athlete than I was a tennis player. And, uh, you know, I went to Georgia and I played number, one, uh, number six singles my freshman year. And got a ton of matches. This is before we had any kind of limits on on matches. Uh, you know, we 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 seem to play, um, you know, sometimes three or four or five matches a week, and that's that's just what I needed. And so after the, my freshman year, I went from number six singles to number one singles, uh, and so I made a big jump uh, just because he took me under his wing. He he taught me how to. Uh, maximize my game, and he tried to get me to be a little bit more disciplined, uh, you know, each each year. Well, you know, you talk about your career. You mentioned that you start out number six singles, number three doubles. You move up to number one for both singles and doubles your next year. You know, two singles, one doubles in 1974, and then one doubles in 1975. Uh, you know, during your time at Georgia, would you say, because you talk about how you were more athlete than tennis player, was that when you really fell in love with the game and thought, okay, this is something I want to do for the rest of my life? Um, you know, that came in, 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 in stages. You know, I, I think I, I you know, narrowed down, obviously, the game, and I wanted to be a good college player when I came to Georgia. I was already committed to doing that. And, um, you know, getting to Georgia my freshman year, you know, my fall, my fall and my freshman year, I was very homesick. Uh, but by the springtime, it kind of just hit me, and it was a great uh, atmosphere out there. Matches almost every day. I kind of fell in love with Athens and the University of Georgia. And, you know, the friendships that I made there have lasted a lifetime. And uh, so it kind of developed from there towards the end of my college career. You know, um, you know, I went from uh, being in the business school to – to not really liking it very much, so I actually settled on on doing something, uh, on, on getting a degree and something I kind of enjoyed. That was history. So I am a history major, oh. just like you, just like you. <laughs> oh my gosh! You know, I, I asked. Uh, sorry, in another, we interviewed uh, the Dartmouth coach, Coach Drake, who's also a history major. And I was telling him, anytime you wanted to get into some presidential history debates, I have some takes about Rutherford B. Hayes that I think you'll just love. <laughs> Well, I may pass on that, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> so we need to scratch out the, the trivia history at the very end of the uh, pod, Alex. Kind of I'm, I'm, I'm changing my rapid fire questions right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, um, just to, com- to complete my answer there real quickly, uh, you know, towards my four years at Georgia, I kind of just went like, you know, th- it, it, this is what I want to do. I want to play tennis. 
and, and see where the game takes me. Uh, and when I'm done, I want to do what Coach McGill is doing. I, I want to be a tennis coach. Uh, and so I, I knew that, I think, early on in my senior year of college. Now, what happened was funny because everything was going great, and I was having a terrific senior year. And then towards the end of my senior year, I blew out my shoulder. And uh, I, uh, I had to play the SEC tournament after not practicing for two weeks. I had a heat stroke. I took two weeks off. I played the NCAAs with very little practice, and I had another heat stroke. And this went on, like, I, I, I took some time off, and I, I started playing in the summer, and, and the pain in my shoulder just w- was not going away. And I, uh, long story short, I, I, I went to see a, another doctor, and he basically told me that I either had to have surgery, which by, you know, at the time, there was no arthroscopic surgery. <laughs> uh, if they opened your shoulder, you were done as a tennis player. <laughs> Tommy John was and, still playing. Yeah, no, this was prior to Tommy. <laughs> so, um, you know, he said the only other option is for you to not do anything for a full year. And so uh, that was painful. Uh, that really crushed me. Uh, and, but what I did was I went back to Athens and I took a couple of classes and I volunteered to help Coach McGill as, as a volunteer coach before volunteer coaches. Uh, and I got a taste of it, and, you know, I went, like, to myself, this is what I want to do. Uh, so, you know, after I got healthy, a year went by. I, 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 I tried playing on and off for several years. I got, I don't know, I got to about 250 at the time, and, uh, you know, I had some fun. I was able to travel. I was able to play uh, a, a fair amount, but uh, I could never stay healthy enough, so I came back to, to Georgia as Coach McGill's assistant in 82, and I've been, ever, uh, been there ever since. Wow. And I, I do ultimately want to transition here to next season and the recruiting class and expectations for next year, because I know you need to get going at 630. But concerning Coach McGill, what are some of the traits and characteristics that you've taken from him? Because, you know, he's seemingly known as one of the founding fathers of modern college, you know, collegiate tennis. And he's a legend in his own right, but you're right there with him now and, you know, may or may not have surpassed him yourself. So what, what were some of the biggest takeaways uh, learning under, under Coach McGill? Well, I think the biggest thing is that, uh, you know, all of us that played under Coach McGill uh, just loved playing for him. Uh, he uh, took a very special uh, and genuine interest in each of his players, uh, you know, especially – I felt that way, um, and I know so many of, of our Georgia Letterman feel the same way. Uh, you know, he was he was funny. He had this. He was a very unique character. Uh, he was very creative. He was a great promoter of college tennis. He always was thinking, uh, you know, down the road, what's going to be good for the game. And so, you know, I, I remember playing in my first NCAA tournament in 1970. Uh, two as a freshman, uh, I, uh, you know, that was the first year that the NCAA tournament was hosted in Athens. And for the first time ever, there were chairs on the court. You know, we didn't used to have chairs on the court, believe it or not. We didn't used to have <laughs> water on every court. 
Um, we, we have a water on every court. We have chairs on every court. And most importantly for Coach McGill, we have scoreboards on every court. <laughs> he said, how the, how the heck is, are we supposed to grow the game if a fan comes to watch and he doesn't see a scoreboard? <laughs> and so, you know, that, that, that's as silly as it might seem today. That was a first in, 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 in that day and age. So, uh, you know, he was always looking for ways to, uh, to improve our product. And so, uh, you know, it was great playing for him. Uh, he, um, he was a very big proponent of, of you know, a, a team concept. You know, it's it an individual sport, but, you know, he created it into a team uh, sport at the University of Georgia. And that's something I've kind of borrowed on or tried to build upon, and, um, and, and that's part of our culture. Sure. And, and Coach McGill, I mean, he sounds – I've never had the opportunity to meet him, but it sounds like he was the – quintessential players coach um but you know knowing how competitive you are and uber competitive did you all ever butt heads in that first season when you were playing six and probably knew that you had the potential to play up the lineup oh not at all not at all uh, you know we uh back back then um you know the fall was not quite as busy we only had like one or two events in the fall so we kept busy playing each other so we had a challenge match system. So it was it was disheartening when I lost to one of my teammates. But there was a ladder, and man, you couldn't get angry at anybody but yourself <laughs> uh, because you knew the position you were playing, you had to earn. Now, uh, you know, I have taken that, and we no longer no longer play challenge matches only because we're so busy. We have so many individual tournaments in the fall, and but but we do play matches amongst ourselves, and I just don't call them challenge matches. We, we, we know what we do, and we establish our lineup based on, you know, what you do in individual tournaments and plus what you do in team matches and plus what you do in practice against each other. So we have a lot more information, I believe, this, this, you know, this day and age uh, than we did when I was playing. Well, I'll say from from the stories I've heard about Coach McGill, I think he wouldn't have said what the heck. I think he would have said, what the f***? Like, are you serious, Coach? And come on. And so, you know, I appreciate you, though, giving us – and you avoided swearing, so well done, Coach. Uh, but, you know, before we get into the current seasons, I, I have to ask about your time, you know, at Georgia through the years, particularly that 1985 season. You know, I was born in 1995, but I have a coach, uh, I don't know if you know the name, Ed Nagel, who talked a lot about, you know, the 1980s and how that was actually – the golden era of, of college tennis. And so, you know, 1985, that's your, not only does Georgia win its first national title in men's tennis program history, but you have two Georgia players playing in the finals of the singles event and it's hosted at Georgia. Um, what was that event like? Just, you know, talk us through because obviously it's hard to find footage of that now. In the early 80s, we had began to move into the final four, into the semifinals. You know, when I was there as a player, you know, we were top 20 when I got there. We kind of moved into the top 12 maybe when I left. Uh, uh, and, and it just continued to improve. Uh, you know, we continue to improve at Georgia as, as, as a whole. And so uh, in the early 80s, we began getting to the semifinals. And, but we have never made it to the finals. Uh, and in 1984, we got lucky 
uh, I will say, um, because we got this little guy uh, that was all of uh, five foot seven and a half, maybe, uh, that was a junior college transfer by the name of Michael Pernford. <laughs> and, this, <laughs> and this guy, you know, Coach McGill, uh, early in his first year at Georgia, Coach McGill, you know, just uh, – uh, he took me to the corner and said, I think this this guy is pretty good. This guy, Michael, is pretty good. He He's going to make us a pretty good number four player. And I, I, <laughs> and I said, I think he's going to be a little bit better than that. <laughs> so Michael goes on and plays his first tournament in the fall, and he wins it. And Coach, <laughs> McGill, pulls, Coach McGill pulls me over and says, well, I think – I think he took to my coaching very quickly. I think you're right. He's gonna he's gonna be better than a good number four player. <laughs> so um, you know, Michael went on to win um, the NCAA singles championship uh, in 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 his first year at 1984, as well as in his second year. He came back to help us win a team championship. Honestly, he could have turned pro after that first year, but he really wanted to win us help us win a team championship and he came back in 85 and yeah, I remember you know I was um, in the final match against UCLA uh, uh, we uh, I was in, in on court five or six and I was so I could see the whole grandstand and the the people ran out of tickets they were selling tickets <laughs> and they kept they kept taking money, you know, because back then there was a huge guarantee. We, we had a, over a $100,000 guarantee that we had to meet uh, at, at Georgia. They did away with that uh, a number of years back. But uh, the, the people just kept letting people in. So I looked at the grandstand from the side, and there were people standing in the walkway, in the stairwell. Uh, just every nook and cranny of that grandstand was packed. And the actual stadium was sagging. <laughs> the fire marshal came in the middle of the match and almost stopped the match. But I think there would have been a I think there would have been a riot if that had happened. But yeah. but from then on, uh, you know, when we ran out of tickets, we could not allow anybody else in. So, um, but that, that year, that's one thing I remember, and I also obviously remember. Our number one and two players, Michael Pernfors and George Vizekny, playing each other uh, in front of a packed, packed crowd, and it was uh, it was fun watching from right outside the press box. We didn't have to coach either one; we just let them go at it, and it was uh, it's very rewarding. Well, then you know, sticking with the theme of history, I, I think the natural follow-up here is you compared the '85 team to one of my favorite teams from my childhood, the '07 team. Uh, another chance where I, I, 07 was played at Georgia as well, right? 07 was played at Georgia, yes. That was John Isner's senior year, uh, yes. And that was the year, so that was the year you guys win the team title and John, you know, plays the final against Samdev Devarman 7 6 uh, in, in the breaker to decide the set. Uh, you know, and I, I don't want to put you in an awkward position, but I have to ask you compare the 07 team to the 85 team. Uh, who comes out on top? That's a tough question. Um, I would probably think that the 07 team's a little bit stronger in doubles. I mean, we had the U.S. Open 
junior champions playing number three doubles, Jamie Hunt and Nate Schnug. Uh, <laughs> we, we had John Isner and uh, uh, Luis uh, Flores playing one. We had uh, Mati Comerzo and Travis Helgeson playing number two doubles uh, in 07. Um, I probably would have to give uh, 07 the, the nod in, 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 in doubles. Um, <laughs> That one, can I just say the one singles matchup, the contrast in Michael versus John, that'd be something. That that would be quite a contrast. (laughs) Uh, I don't know who wins that one, to be honest with you. Uh, At two, uh, I would say George Wazekny won like 24 straight matches to finish that year. I mean, he barely lost the set. I would probably get him notched. He had Alan Miller. I mean, it's tough. It'd be four, three, one way or the other. Uh, But I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Uh, the the t- our 2001 team is, I think, is just as good as our 2017. Well, you um, you have to think Booker is as accomplished as much at top. You know, he wins the triple crown compared to the other. He's got to be the favorite. That's that, that's right. He's back to back as well as Michael, back to back single champion. Uh, not many. I think there's like three in the modern era. I think Alex O'Brien may have won there as well. Um, so, uh, I, I'm not sure if there's any other. I think Alex O'Brien, Michael Pernforce, uh, and, and Stevie and, and Matias and then Stevie. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So elite company. Absolutely. I love it. I, I, what about, uh, you know, in alumni form, they come back for an alumni match at McGill. Does the current 85 team, how old are those guys now in their, what, early fifties, late forties? Yeah, uh, let's see, Pernfors and Miller, I think they're about 55. Yeah, you Pernfors versus yeah. recent Wimbledon semifinalist John Isner. That's a fun one. <laughs> yeah, I, do, I do just want to take a quick second to uh, plug Sam Duvall and Top Notch Management because we have a, a working relationship with those guys, and obviously uh, Sam represents John. Uh, so. Yeah. Just want to give a quick plug there. Do you know Sam at all, or what, what's the relationship? Uh, I, I know him well, and he's just a tremendous, tremendous guy. Just huge, uh, huge fan of Sam and uh, all he's done for John. It's just a, you know, great uh, team uh, player there. Uh, you know, John's got a great team, and it starts with Sam. Absolutely. Well, shout out to Top Notch Management, uh, Sam Duvall, and John Isner as well. I do want to get back. Uh, before we look forward, you alluded to it earlier about the transition from high school to college. Uh, what do you, you know, to our junior listeners, what would you say is the biggest challenge? Um, is it the physical nature of the collegiate game or is it the, you know, time management of, of being a student athlete or what would you um, provide, a, you know, for advice for our junior listen, listeners for the transition from high school to college? It's very important. Uh, yes, I do think that the physicality of, the, of you know the jump in physicality. Uh, you know when you when you go from juniors, you're playing someone uh, you know for the most part that's your age, maybe uh, max a year older. And you know you go to college, and sometimes you're playing people that are three, four years. But they're at the stage where they've gone from being a young man to to, to being a real man. So. The, the physicality is, is, is the, one of the biggest adjustments, and uh, but obviously you as a junior can, you know, you can minimize that or at least, uh, you know, just kind of shorten that that a little bit just by beginning a good 
you know, weight program uh, while you're in high school. And so it's important to have a good, you know, physical conditioning, strength and conditioning uh, person to assist you in, in your junior years. And, I, you know, we see that for the most part, but it's, it's, it's a very important uh, part of uh, minimizing that, that jump, you know, and just making it easier, uh, making it for a, making for a smoother transition. Well, I think another part of that decision for some players, and, you know, it's a rare breed, but there are some players, and you think in recent history, you look at the Tiafos, the Donaldsons, the Fritzes, you know, someone closer to home, the Tommy Pauls, who have made the transition from high school right to the Pro Tour. But then, you know, you see other guys, you see Kevin Anderson, Steve Johnson's, the John Isners, who went the college route. Uh, I guess my question is, can you talk about one oh, for a young player who's considering making that pro jump, what do you think they should see from their game? Uh, you know, when considering that jump, what what do they need to think about before going pro? And then part two is just you know talking about college as a pathway for developing for the pro circuit. Well, I mean, I think there's many. You can you can make it either way. Obviously, I think that just uh, you know the, the great majority of um, of kids probably are better served going the college route. Uh, you know, if you have, if you, if you're a junior and, and, and you know, you're, you're having success in, in the futures tournaments and you are getting to the semis of challengers and you're, and you know, you're well on the way and, and you, you could make the decision to bypass college if you're having that type of success. But if you're not winning futures, uh, you know, that, that's, that's, you're playing Russian roulette here. Um, it, it, you know, who knows? Who knows whether you're going to make it or not? Uh, why not have a pretty good, uh, you know, just um, yeah, pretty good idea by uh, evaluating where you are, your success. Uh, you know, it, it, are you having success on, on the on the on the circuit, on even on the lowest level? I mean, you, you, most of our college tournaments are every bit as good or better than than most futures, to be honest with you. So. Um, you know, you have a great support staff. You've got strength and conditioning. You've got academic support. You've got coaches. Uh, you've got great facilities. Everything is there for you. Um, you know, if you go, if, if you bypass college, you know, it's pretty evident it's a three to four year transition uh, unless you are a complete complete stud out there. I mean, unless you are one of those just elite, elite guys like Andy Roddick or Michael Chang. Those guys were winning ATP Tour events at 18. So, uh, you know, that's a different breed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, So if you're winning at 18 ATP Tour events, you don't need to go to college. But for 99% 99 of the rest of us humans, uh, you know, it's uh, it's probably, but you're better served having, you know, having, uh, you know, going the college realm than my opinion. Sure, sure. And leading into next uh, season, it's a perfect segue. You've got the number two class coming in. Obviously, Trent Bride at the top of that class, and then South African Philip Henning as well. And you've got a good crop of juniors and seniors on the team as well. What are the expectations heading into next season? Well, I'm excited. Uh, I think we've got a great senior class. We're going to have some good leadership. Uh, we have Emil Reinberg, who's done terrific this summer. Um, you know, we have Jan Zelinski, who's also been playing a lot in Europe and doing very well. 
uh, and Walker Duncan had a terrific uh, you know last year until his you know his he, his back got hurt obviously but uh, you know he's uh, he's uh, he had a terrific uh, end of his sophomore year and and first half of the junior year so I'm excited about our leadership I'm excited about our seniors uh, and uh, very excited with our uh, you know the rest of our players uh, you know we we've got some work to do we've got to get back. To um, you know, to, the, to our bulldog type of mentality, we had an off year last year where we had a lot of injuries. We had so many injuries. We I don't know that we had uh, you know a, a full lineup um, uh, you know, but for more than two or three matches, maybe four. Uh, so it was an injury riddled year for us, and we just didn't. We we didn't do as well as we expected. We lost a lot of close matches. We got to get back and. We got to prove to the rest of the country that we're still an elite team. So that's a great challenge. Uh, I'm I'm excited. Yeah, I, I can only imagine. I do want to ask, and this isn't really something new to this season, but just a, a new change in college tennis in general. And you know, you're a vocal presence on Twitter. You like to give your opinion on what you think. So hopefully, you'll be uh, willing to do that here. You know, in terms of the scoring changes we've seen in college tennis, the switch from ad scoring to no ad scoring, the shortening of the doubles point, um, you know, the idea behind that is to try and shorten the matches, make it more viable for people to come to them. Uh, having seen the way these changes have been implemented, and now it's been about five years, uh, what have you thought about the scoring change and what it's done to uh, college tennis as, you know, as a product? You know, at the time, uh, I was one of the you know, proponents uh, for no end tennis uh, and for coming up with a team product that that was going to allow us to grow our game, our college game. And, uh, you know, I'm still hopeful um, uh, that that I, I believe this has helped. I mean, being able to have a dual match that will last about two to two and a half hours, you know, it, it was all about creating a product and trying to trying to improve our standing among college athletics. Okay, um, I'll, I'll be 100% honest because that's all I can be. Um, I do like uh, still the product that we have. I, 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 I'm not sure. I'm not having second thoughts though about no ad. I, I do mm. see. Yeah, I do see, um, you know, where, you know, especially no ad, you know, I, I believe something's got to give a little bit, I, I, in my opinion. Uh, you know, we're playing with no lets, uh, you know, you're playing no ad. It, 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 it's almost, uh, to me, almost a little, I'm having some concerns that we're having too many lucky bounces, lucky net strikes, uh, you know, just... <laughs> I, I'm having some some issues with it, to, to be honest with you. Sure, the margin uh, the margins are now incredibly thin. I think we saw that you know throughout the time you know this year's NCAAs. Yeah, it was uh, Ohio State and Wake Forest, two teams we thought from the get go. But I think you saw it indoors this year. I think you've seen just throughout the upsets in the regular season that happened. The no ad, you know, it makes the scoring. It's it's a more volatile product. There's you know more variety in the results you'll see. So. I mean, I guess in ter- from a developmental standpoint, do you think it's been beneficial, you know, teaching kids how to play on big points, even though they may not have that on the pro tour? Developmentally, um, 
Sometimes I feel sometimes I feel like our doubles is a little bit too short. Uh, <laughs> it, and and uh, and. Uh, and, and at the same time, that uh, Noah lends itself to you know luck having a bigger, uh, being a, a bigger element than I would like for it to be. Uh, I, I think obviously upsets, whether it's in you know in basketball at the tournament, you know, have add a, a lot of uh, excitement to the to the product to the tournament. But you know, I think it, it should be, you know, I think it should be about skill and it should be about training and it should be about um, uh, you know, just uh, toughness, and um, uh, I, I'm not, I, I'm not coming out against what we've done. I'm, I'm, I'm being honest with you, and I'm saying that I'm, I'm, I'm having some, you know, concerns maybe or some thoughts that uh, you know it may be too quick and it may be too, you know, and luck may be a little bit too involved here. But we need to try to. Reevaluate maybe the the left. Now that we have a, you know, now that we have a chair umpire in every match, at least at the SEC we do, and at the NCAAs and every national tournament, why are we still playing left? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's that's uh, something I, I'm, uh, I'm all in on. Well, you know, from a fan perspective, I kind of like the funky bounces. I could see why from a coach's perspective, obviously, it's incredibly frustrating. I think all of the points you make are completely fair. It's been tough because, you know, in recent history in particular, those Virginia teams, you have to think, add no ad scoring. They're going to be really tough to beat no matter what. And then, you know, this last year again with Wake Forest, so many seniors. So I think this is really the first year, you know, you have a new generation of college tennis players. It's really kind of wide open. I think it will be a good test to, you know, see no ads, see if there's any added variance, you know, any results that stick out as outliers. So it's definitely something interesting to watch. Uh, I want to ask one more thing, and then we can get into our, our rapid-fire segment. But in terms of another development, you know, the NCAA Finals moving uh, to Orlando, it, it sounds like Georgia's not going to get the ch- chance to host for a while after hosting so many times over the years. Um, what do you think about that change, about centralizing the event, having it all in Orlando, as opposed to you know, spreading out throughout each coast over the years? Well, I don't. I don't think the decision has been made to keep it in Orlando. Um, uh, if anything, you know, we decided. I think the NCAA decided to take the tournament there just to see how it would do there. Uh, and they have uh, two. I think two of the next four years. Uh, so uh, you know, I do believe that for the most part, it should be in college campuses. Myself, uh, you know, but we'll see. Hey, if they have five, six thousand people. In the stands, and it's a great atmosphere. I don't, you know, I, I don't, I don't mind that being the Omaha of college tennis. But that still remains to be seen. Uh, you know, it's very hard. They, nobody has the support. I tell you, we played uh, one of the college match days in in Lake Nona, and I'm telling you, I'm, I was so impressed not only with the facilities, but the support staff and how how many people are there to make your stay there special. I think it's going to be a special event. I think, you know, they're going to do everything they can to do it. I, I just, I don't know what kind of atmosphere uh, is going to be uh, there, you know, over the course of the tournament. I, I, I hope, I hope they knock it out of the park. I do. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, I, I think there's a lot to be said for having the tournament uh, on college campuses as well, unless, unless this, you know, obviously the, the 
this proves to be, uh, you know, much, much better than, than, than that. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, coach, I know we've got a little under two minutes left. Um, and also I know the proof is in the pudding and the results with six national titles and 28 SEC titles, uh, throughout your tenure speak for themselves. But for our junior listeners out there, and this will be the last question before we get into the last segment, but give us your pitch on the Bulldog way and why top recruits should choose UGA going forward. You know, we try to, to, to create a culture of, you know, discipline and respect and, you know, high energy and a positive attitude and uh, teach our kids to prioritize and become men of, you know, character. And, uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, that, that speaks for, you know, leadership and accountability and, and learning to, to be, you know, to be a part of a team and work within a, a framework uh, of teamwork. Uh, and, uh, you know, playing in the biggest stages, I think we've, you know, we've made a habit of doing that just about every year. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, every single one of the guys that have has gone through our program, uh, you know, has not, you know, has come out and, uh, you know, they speak uh, just like I did going through Georgia, you know, four of the best, greatest years of, of my life. Great, great. Well, uh, we will head on over to a fan favorite here at Cracked Rackets. Um, it's the rapid fire segment. So I will give you 10 questions. You'll provide uh, one word answers and, and rapid succession here. So you ready to rock? I don't know. Uh, you make me nervous now. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're back to the last 45 seconds here. So All right, go, Wick, go. <laughs> uh, favorite, favorite tennis player? Um, you know, Nadal, uh, for his tenacity and grit and toughness. <laughs> That's a six word answer. So you only get four for the next seven questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, favorite <laughs> hobby outside of tennis? Um, boating. Sweeter, um, sweeter feeling winning the SEC title as a player or a coach? I would, I would say as a coach. You get to watch people's faces and uh, and reaching uh, a, a goal. I think as, as a coach, although as a player, it doesn't suck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if if you have to go to one concert for the rest of your life, or you know, you can choose one band, I guess. Who would that be? What's the favorite band of all time? You know, as of right now, I probably would like to see Van Morrison. <laughs> I love that answer. Uh, clearly, you're not listening to what your players are listening to, but uh, <laughs> no, man, man, no, yeah, God, yeah. <laughs> Van Morrison is more of the bulldog way, as we mentioned. Uh, but so, okay, uh, how about f- again, favorite city in the world? Probably, probably, uh, Paris. In in the spirit of our name, the last time Coach Manny Diaz cracked a racket. <laughs> I, I uh, no, I didn't crack many. Uh, you know, I would have, I would have gotten, I would have gotten thrown around a good bit. <laughs> First by my dad, and then by my by my coach. <laughs> I'm I'm sneaking in one more. Football season is on the horizon. Jake Fromm or Justin Fields? Who's your starting quarterback for Georgia? First game, it's got to be Fields. I mean, uh, uh, Jake from I mean, but uh, it's going to get interesting. I'm telling you, <laughs> I think we got two, two great ones. <laughs> I completely agree. Yeah. It's going to be fun to watch. 
That's a good problem to have, honestly. <laughs> Much <laughs> like the Georgia tennis team in 2019. There you go. We, let's hope so. Coach, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Best of luck this next season, and enjoy Kalamazoo the next couple of weeks or a couple of days. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Dalton and Alex. Alex. Yeah, of course, and we will talk. We will talk to you soon, Coach. You guys kind of get a do- go dogs one time from you. Go dogs! <laughs> I love it. Well, yeah, take care, Coach. Take care. All right, hope you enjoyed our conversation with Georgia head tennis coach Manny Diaz obviously you know we had a ton of fun on there it's great to have Dalton back but coach Diaz so kind you know so forthright so honest with his answers so we really appreciate him taking the time to do this and obviously we'll be watching the entire Georgia men's tennis team very closely in this 2019 season as they look to bounce back from what was you know a pretty disappointing 2018 but so much talent they'll be really fun to watch and again coach Diaz will always be a friend of the cracked interviews pod so again really appreciate you guys all listening if you haven't go rate review subscribe to this podcast as well as the great shot podcast we've also got a ton of great content coming your way throughout the rest of this summer and as you know it is almost that time for the 2018 season to round to a close so you know get your tennis fix in while you can go check out our website crackrackets.com but for that again one last time our super producers max fleener and daniel westoff who do an excellent job editing as always for my co-host dalton thieneman for coach manny diaz i'm your host alex gruskin and thank you for listening Thank <laughs> you.